Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we are going to be getting into the Mavericks' recent back-to-back slate in which they went one and one. They first played the Utah Jazz on Monday night, or, or no, Tuesday, no, night, night. Tuesday yeah. night, and they lost, or they won, rather, 122-116. Then they lost to the New Orleans Pelicans the following night where Luka Doncic uh, subsequently went out of the game in the third quarter after a continued aggravation of a thigh strain that he sustained that he had been playing through uh, the last few games. We don't ne- necessarily exactly know where he sustained said injury, but uh, he had been playing through it. And, you know, you could see – it was a pretty discernible distinction that something was wrong or something was up there the last couple of games. He had been wincing in pain after, you know, multiple possessions. It finally, you know, I don't know if he just tweaked it or what, but it got to a point to where it was too insurmountable. He ended up missing the rest of the game. The Mavericks were already down at the, um, in the first half by 16. At one point, the Pelicans league got as large as 19. The Mavericks had a valiant effort to try and come back late in the game, but a flurry of C.J. McCollum threes down the stretch, of course, negated that comeback attempt, and the Mavericks ended up suffering a one-and-one slate in this recent back-to-back. Jaron, what were your immediate thoughts uh, just from these like last two games? Any generalizations you have before we get into the podcast? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I feel like we've said this one too many times this year, and I feel like we've mentioned it post-Kyrie trade, but this is one where you kind of have to ask yourself, are you still in the same boat as you were, you know, say a month ago, two months ago, like there's just some, some common similarities with this team that we thought wouldn't translate after the trade deadline. And clearly they're here and they're, you know, very prominent. Um, I I don't know. I'll say this, like two very weird games. Uh, The jazz game was, you know, one where I felt like played good, but played bad. Uh, You know, I don't, really know i know we're going to dive deeper into it and of course this pelicans game just kind of felt weird all night uh one where you know it it was just sort of an off night you know it's a back-to-back of course so a a quick turnaround going to new orleans but i I don't know weird games um i felt like it was a must win in new orleans just for standings uh and playoff recollection and everything yeah the next 16 games are all must wins yeah exactly yeah well yeah from going on out yeah it has to be but I thought this was one where, you know, you had to pretty much go 2-0, especially, you know, getting one on the Warriors for the fifth seed, whatever it was. Um, of course, you know, we go one-on-one in this stretch. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like I said, just two very weird, like, I don't even know. Like, it's just weird feelings. Like, not not anything, like, too negative to take out of the games. Like, there you know, there's some things you can pull out of the Pelicans game, but not anything, you know – positively amazing you can pull out not anything super negative you can pull out it's just two weird games yeah I think that's a great summation and I liked what you brought out about problems persisting after the trade deadline that maybe a lot of people didn't really think were going to be there just because they thought Kyrie was a cure-all I don't know if we were necessarily in that same boat but 
I mean, the defensive issues, of course, are still very much persistent. Uh, this Pelicans game, they were actually, it was probably actually one of their better efforts. Uh, but barring that, Kyrie is not a cure-all to the Mavericks problems. He does cure the, the playmaking woes and, you know, the alleviation of Luka having to carry every possession. And, you know, that was honestly one of the Mavericks' biggest gaping holes. So that that much is needed, but there are other problems that still persist with this team, and we'll be getting all into it as we do after every post game, you know, after the All Star break, uh, where we talk about rim protection and perimeter defense, and um, how we just have to basically outscore everybody. But before we do that, here's an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, so getting into this affair against the Jazz, Jaron, this is a one where Luca and Kyrie, of course, combined for. I believe 62 points. It was a very sort of weird game from the standpoint that there were times in this game where you felt like the defensive effort from the Mavericks was very stout and that they were in full control of this game. But there were also times where Utah would play beyond their means, kind of by virtue of just maybe getting some guys playing a little bit better than they usually do or some lapses in the Mavericks defense. And it wasn't that sort of necessarily cure all wire to wire win that we were looking for. But of course, at this juncture in the season, you'll take whatever win you can get if you're the Mavericks. So what did you configure from that Utah game specifically um, before we dip into the Pelicans game? Yeah, I think the biggest thing to take away, I mean, like with a roster who's starting Ochai Baji. Um, I'm sorry, I can't say his name. Is it Simi Fantecio or what um, is it? Fonta Fontaquio. That's how Mark Falwell pronounced it. Was it Fontaquio or Fontaquio? Fontaquio. Fontaquio. Okay, w- whatever his name is. Anyways, uh, and then like, of course, you have like Chris Dunn and all those guys off the bench. Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I felt like this was a game that we probably should have put apart pretty quickly. It definitely felt like that way um, early on, but. The biggest takeaway I think that you can take from this game is, I mean, the this one is probably the most buzzer to buzzer win, uh, just in the sense that you know there wasn't any bad play, there wasn't any stagnant defense or any stagnant offense. It was all a pretty clean path to the victory. Of course, you know there was times where Juan, or uh, where um, what's his name, um, Taylor Horton Tucker. Yeah, Taylor Horton Tucker. Yeah, uh, he would just bully his way in, like he'd make some guys look smaller whenever you know. Josh Green, he's a pretty physical guy, but he'd make Josh Green look tiny on some place. Um, like you had those moments in the game, but outside of I mean, that, Lowry, you know, was, just... Lowry was Lowry. Like you, you kind oh, of expected. Yeah, no. I mean, his ability to you know come off of staggers and pin downs and pop it from three, as well as just you know being able to, he makes a lot of the the sort of scrappy plays that you wouldn't really necessarily expect from. I guess really a superstar. It sounds weird to call him that, but <laughs> I mean, he, he just makes a lot of the, the 50, 50 plays. And I, I think he has a sort of uncanny ability to do that. That a lot of guys of his status would definitely just kind of gloss over. Like they're honestly not, he doesn't get as much, you know, I would be intrigued to see what his usage rate is. I mean, they're not just running, running him into the ground, you know, giving him the ball at the top of the key every time saying, Hey, you do this. I mean, they do run like, like I said, like a lot of like staggers and pin downs for him to get shots, you know, especially with how good he's been shooting the three this year. Um, but I mean, a lot of his buckets, you know, come like virtue of offensive rebounds or like running the floor in transition, or he had that 
one where he he just he'll always find himself in the right position at the right time like when he posterized Christian Wood on that one lob uh, he, he has a lot of those sort of just supplementary type of plays and those add up throughout the course of the game and he, he definitely hurt the Mavericks with some of that stuff but that that's I think kind of you know to be expected in terms of Taylor Horton Tucker you know going seven for 14 from the field and getting 21 points I don't know I obviously can recognize that his strength overrides a lot of the Mavericks you know sort certainly thinner frame defenders even if they are, you know, lengthy and they try as hard as they can. But I, I do feel like to an extent that that is inexcusable. They they have to at least provide some sort of stopgap measure to prevent him from getting that far in the paint. And I, I do kind of see this weird negligence with the Mavericks where unless there is a, like, distinguished superstar player on the other team, they won't double a guy just because he's hot. They'll They'll – you have to, like – have a certain status or a certain level of credibility to you before they double team you. And I don't know, I'd like them to at least mend that. Cause there's like a lot of times where these, um, you know, lower tier guys will start to catch some heat and the Mavericks will just let them happen, you know, let it happen. There's no trapping or doubling. So I was just curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think in the case of Horton Tucker, I mean, that's a guy, the second you let him go downhill, the second you let him in the paint, it, I mean, it's pretty much game over. We saw that firsthand, of course, in the Utah game. Um, I mean, a good example is Wainwright. I feel like, you know, they just kept letting him get open threes after open three, and, you know, he knocked down four in a row. Um, even, of course, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker in this one, uh, like I said, you just let him get downhill, and it's pretty much locks. Um, I think if you can sort of counter it, it sort of has to be like a double up top. And like, you know, as you mentioned, the Mavs just refuse to double anybody or I guess just like a point, you know, any defense on anybody who really doesn't deserve it. Like Horton Tucker, especially in this one where he's tearing up your team, like it, it he he varies or he at least warrants like some sort of defensive change. And it, it just didn't seem like, you know, through four quarters, there was any change at all. Um you know, if anything, they put more pressure on marketing at times. And even as you said, like marketing is just one of those guys where, you know, the usage rate, the offense really doesn't run through him. It just he's just there at the right time, in the right place. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in the case of this, I just think that, you know, there really wasn't any defensive changes that to be had that, you know, negatively or I guess like positively changed the game. Um, and I, I mean, I like what you said, where, you know, some of the the lower tier to mid tier guys like if they catch heat, which nine times out of 10, there's always one player on the team. Um, and I think that's just the Mavericks defense and how they're built. Uh, there's going to be one of those guys that catches heat and the Mavericks just refuse to either change up their defensive uh, stopgap or, you know, whatever pressure they put on the guy, like they're just going to refuse to do it. Unless if it's a Kevin Durant or a Devin Booker, those are the only guys that they'll change up. They'll double team um, at the point of attack. Like, I, I don't know. There's just no change at all. Um, I mean, this is a game where Horton Tucker shouldn't have had nearly as much of the, pressure or you know rate as which he was used at and he, he honestly is probably one of his better career games so I, I don't know it's just kind of embarrassing in that way but yeah defensively there just needs to be some change around these mid-tier guys because it kind of seems like um I, I don't know what game we're through now after this pelicans game i feel like there's 16 games left or 15 um Quick math yeah. that is going to be um 66 games we're 66 yeah season. like through 66 games i mean there's probably more than 75% of these games that we've played where, uh, I mean, how many, you know, off the bench guys have just dropped 
at least one per game usually cracks. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. It, I don't know. It's just at some point, like you have to look to your defense and like, I just don't think the Mavs are doing that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, just if we can at least relegate role players to being role players, if that, you know, if this defense can at least do that and you know, that, that, that could work leaps and bounds. Cause we're always trying to configure some sort of solution to the Mavericks defensive woes. And I mean, honestly, there, there really isn't one. Um, you know, you can mend some things rotationally, but there's no overarching, like huge, big solution. You can provide some stopgap measures, of course, but you know, that the only big solution is going to come in terms of a change of personnel. But, you know, in terms of like helping around the edges, like this is one thing you could do. So, I mean, I don't know. I propose this to them in terms of how the Mavericks played in that jazz game. Like, like I said, like I, I thought that they played relatively decent defense for what it's worth on you know most of the guys you know that warranted respect they, they definitely um they kept a pretty keen eye to Lori uh or Lowry rather it didn't really matter I mean he still went off and he was on one from three but I mean they they were still definitely bringing two guys at the rim whenever he would get it when he was getting downhill and they were doing a good job just trying to make him pass out of certain possessions the Jazz ended up shooting 15 to 44% on three, which isn't really great percentage-wise. I mean, it's average at about 34%, but it is a decent amount of threes. And, you know, they just had – I don't know. They just had some some pop from some guys that you wouldn't necessarily expect, like Chris Dunn, who, you know, has been signed on these 10-day contracts, I believe. And he came in and played, you know, insane Chris Dunn defense, essentially the reason he was a number four pick back in the day, as well as actually – serve it he serves some sort of semblance of an offensive game which is a stark contrast to most of his career so you know and Rudy Gay turned back the clock a little bit on the Mavericks in his 17 minutes had like 11 points I believe or 10 rather so I mean it was just like stuff like that and I thought that they maybe could have been a little more attentive to but other than that I mean you know they, they were playing a less than fully healthy jazz team they were without Sexton um, I'm definitely – oh, without Walker Kessler. So, I mean, they're missing some of their best players here. So, from that perspective, Jaron, was it disappointing from a Mavericks perspective that they couldn't put this team away a little more handily? Or do you think that the Jazz kind of just got lucky with some of their role players' performances? Uh, there, there's some drawback to both of those sort of questions. I think that this is one where, you know, you're not mad at the score, but it's definitely one where, you know, there's a roster with Chris Dunn, uh Ochai Baji, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, like all these sort of no name type guys. Um, you know, Ochai Baji, of course, he can make it in for himself. He's only a rookie, but uh, like sort of these guys that haven't had a big role in the NBA are kind of coming in and you know looking like average to good role players whenever they're playing the Mavericks. And I, I don't think that this is you know, the Mavericks had a really good offensive game. I, you know, I know that you said they had a decent defense game or at least one of the better defensive games. No, I mean, um, I think they played decent from the perspective of like, the, it, contrary to the Pelicans game, right? Yeah. I thought yeah. the rotations were a lot more crisp. I thought that guys were giving more consistent effort. And I don't know if it was as reflective on the stat sheet, you know, given the Jazz scored 116 points and, you know, et cetera. But I do think that, things just in general looked um better i don't really uh, no, know yeah no like, yeah, yeah I, I would tend to agree that i don't think there was as many you know overarching themes that you could take away even still 
you know, the same struggles that we saw, like the fourth quarter collapse, like the Jazz almost came back and, you know, at least put a foot through the door and said that we're still in it. But, you know, after all, the Mavericks did pull it out. Um, you know, the second half or the the end of the first half struggles, like all these sort of, you know, narratives that we've come to normalize, I guess, through this season, you know, definitely played an effect in this game. Um, I, I don't think there's, you know, anything outside of the norm, I guess is what I'm trying to say is like they they played a good game. And yet, you know, role players, Chris Dunn, a guy who's been out of the league for the last year and a half, like guys like this were just able to, you know, find a name and really put their name in the door. And uh, I mean, that, that was kind of a weird analogy, but um, like, I mean, Damian Jones, like guys like these just, you know, having a role, I guess, through this game. And I know that that's a, a beat up roster. These guys are going to have a role just as is, but they looked like a, a, a sizable or a feasible role player. Uh, when oh, I mean, like they, they looked like just as good of a team. Like they looked very yeah, exactly. Like I, I know that you know it's that's a good team. Like uh, just team in general. Like I want to say before that game, they were the eight seed or nine, especially seed. before the trade deadline. You know, yeah. Like I, I don't know how they're in that spot, but it's I, that's just a good team. It's a well coached team, um, and I guess they looked it is what I'm trying to say. They looked like a well coached team. Um, this was definitely one where you know you have Kyrie and Luca spearheading the game. You'd like to be put out early uh, or you'd like the game to be put out early. And it's just, I mean, how many blowouts have we seen in this trade deadline or after the trade deadline? Like, I feel like we haven't seen any. No, I mean, it's been uh, all close games. And I mean, I, I think, yeah, one of my other gripes is just like, you know, Kyrie and Luca and Tim Hardaway Jr., of course, with his insane shooting, you sort of spearhead this attack. But I mean, if you just have a slightly worse game from any of those guys in this one. Uh, that might be game. Yeah. Like that, that, that could, could be lost. I mean, if Tim Hardaway Jr. doesn't make he two more threes. Yeah. Two less threes. I mean, really just like one in a free throw. This could be a wildly different outcome. I mean, he made seven threes. So it, it's those type of contributions that have you sort of shaking your head. Why are the why are the Mavericks play role players essentially like why are their starters you know, night in and night out, night out, you know, tending to play down to their competition. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, I know the Mavericks defense doesn't have the most all-star cast of personnel and, you know, you can make every excuse in the book in terms of the schematics, you know, if they should have played more, more zone, more matchup zone. But at the end of the day, like, you know, when you're playing a, a jazz team like this, who, you know, starting like Simone, Fonakio and you know Chris Dunn is getting like valuable minutes off the bench and you got a guy like um you know Johnny Juzang who I believe was undrafted UCLA dude who this like, was his fourth ever NBA game yeah I mean like actually you know I mean yeah he looked rattled out there at times but I mean he looked serviceable uh when when the Mavericks role players are relegated to looking just as good as the Jazz's role players who in this instance are fringe NBA guys that that is kind of where your problem lies and you know we're not really even talking decent you know offensively role players are going to have down games offensively you know exhibit a Tim Hardaway Jr. being able to score like 24 points on seven of nine from three and you know easily in a game or two he could have like three points on two of two of 11 shooting but when you're you know, having this sort of performance from all your role players, um, it, it's not even really as much offensively that we're speaking as it is defensively. Um, they're, they're just inability to step up to the competition. And I mean, that seems to be an ongoing theme against 
a lot of these teams, it's like if it's not this a nationally televised game, if the Mavericks don't have something to get up for, if they have a lead, uh, the defensive intensity just has a certain drop off to it. And I mean, like I said, I, I thought that they were crisp on their rotations, but there were definitely some times where, you know, I, I thought that maybe they could have closed out harder. They, you know, could have put a little more one on one effort um, in terms of defending guys. I mean, oh, not even to mention, I thought about this out of nowhere, but I mean, Jordan Clarkson, he wasn't even playing. For the Jazz, oh, yeah. I mean, he still remained within post trade deadline. So I mean, they were really without a lot of guys tonight. Um, but yeah, like in those instances where you could step up to the plate a little more in defense, um, they they have got to do that down the stretch. And I mean, I don't really have any sort of confidence bouts in terms of their ability to get up for big games during the playoffs. But in terms of like maintaining leads and this whole sustainability complex, like that stuff is built up in the regular season and they got to lay the foundation and the groundwork right now against like some of these lesser opponents. And they're simply not doing it. They night in night out play down to their opponent almost every time, you know, you can come up with the whole, Oh, you know, identity change. Kyrie just got traded to the Mavericks excuse. You know, I kind of get that to an extent, but I mean, he's fit fairly seamlessly at this point, it's, you know, a lot of this lies on, you know, a little bit on Luca's shoulders, his defense, a lot of, the, you know, on the role player's shoulders, but just as sort of just a vibe around the team and the general state of the team and how they get up for certain games. If, you know, if we're going to look at this from a narrative perspective. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have two great examples of that basically over this back-to-back stretch, a jazz team that, you know, we've mentioned the roster again, uh, depleted to say the least and then this pelicans game where you know zion williams is out uh brandon ingram goes down late in the game like the number of guys you know aren't playing for that team uh which i guess you know leads us to a good transition into talking about that pelicans game uh definitely a game where you know it, it seemed like it was all going right it seemed like it was all going well uh you know if, i, I want to say they jumped out to an eight point lead within the first like five minutes of the game and very quickly uh it all it all fell apart and i want to say at one point in the game they were down by 19 um and pretty much through the whole entire game they were down by 19 or at least 10 and i I feel like you know some of the comeback was a a, just a desperate mavericks team uh like late in the game you know you have to make a run for yourself and that's exactly what they did they cut it within three or two something like that um at one point and then of course you know pulled out but uh I just think, yeah, like playing down to your opponent, it, it's a big narrative. It's a big talking point, something that, you know, you can't really cover, uh, especially in like a, a two-game pod where you're, you know, sort of gathering them all together. But the, this is two great examples of that. You know, like I said, a depleted um, a depleted Jazz roster and then a, a Pelicans team that's kind of beat up. Yeah, I mean, I don't really tend to say that they play down to their opponent in the Pelicans game near as much because of – the Luca injury, as well as Maxi being out, as well as oh, I'm forgetting one of the guy, Reggie Bullock, he was out. So you know, there's a, there was a plethora of injuries on both sides. Uh, the Pelicans, for example, didn't have Jose Alvarado. Brandon Ingram left the game, I believe, after the second quarter. Zion, of course, was still out. So these were two like heavily depleted uh, rosters injury wise, but nonetheless, the Mavericks still. Um, you know, were down for a majority of the game. They were down 16 at halftime, and they were just hard-pressed to be able to find any sort of semblance of an offense uh, with Luka's limitations. And it was exemplified in those first three quarters where, 
in those first three quarters, I mean, the Mavericks only had 43 at halftime. They only had 65 going into the fourth quarter. And luckily, you know, they were benefactors over some hot shooting, especially in that fourth quarter period. And they had suffered the sort of second night back-to-back shooting woes um, most of the game beforehand. But they were able to turn the corner from that perspective. And I think they ended up finishing the net on three, going 16 of 46. And like a lot of those were in the fourth quarter. But I mean, you know, I think a lot of people would have a tendency to be like, oh, we just had this whole Kyrie trade. We're not going to have the same problem still of, you know, us having to win by virtue of our one dimensional three and D role players. Right. Like I think a lot of people would think, oh, Kyrie, you know, increases the dynamism in which the Mavericks, you know, can have different ways in which they can win. Just by, you know, virtue of the fact of how uber talented he is and how many different levels he can score at. But I mean, when Luca goes down and he's the only guy, then, you know, he's left with this uh, sort of array and cast of role players that still fills the exact same role as they did beforehand. Like nothing changed, uh, barring Dorian's gone. So, um, you know, when they have a down shooting game and Luca's not out there to ready the storm it's going to only amplify the Mavericks woes as we saw in that third quarter after Luca went down um, with a re-aggravation apparently of the right thigh. So we'll get, we'll keep you guys monitored on that, but things are not looking to, uh, the grass is not looking greener on the other side, to say the least, as we approach uh, then the last 16 games of the regular season and health is paramount. Me personally, you know, I think that Luca needs to rest as so until he's healthy because this team has obviously kept him in for some stretches throughout these last few games that probably did not end up, you know, benefiting that thigh whatsoever in route to trying to win some games. And I do get that. And I get the competitor in Luca. And I, I don't necessarily think that that's a um, decision that should inflict a certain amount of blame on any one person. I don't, I don't think that that's, something that we need to really harp on as a fan base. But at the same time, seeing that whole re-aggravation process last night is fairly alarming. And we need to take the necessary precautions going forward because, you know, if even if it does affect us marginally seating-wise in a ever-tightly congested West, I would rather Luca, you know, miss a few games and we lose a few games and be ready for the playoffs versus aggravate the, th- the thigh even further to the point where it ends up getting to a point of him not even not even being able to compete whatsoever come playoff time so I just want to get your thoughts on that Jaron because obviously that's probably the biggest thing we can take away from this game barring the on the court stuff yeah I mean I think it has to beg the question like you know the previous what 40 like 40 handoff games like um you know pre-trade deadline like I guess 50 at this point, um, you know, like Luca's usage rate was incredible is, is insane. Um, and just his body, I, I don't know how it took the toll, but we're seeing the backlashes of that. Now um, we're in the middle of the season, late in season, we're seeing the backlashes of that. Now, I think that this is something, you know, I, I would agree with you where, you know, take your time, uh, sit out for as long as possible and be ready for playoffs because uh, like a contusion, you know, you don't think long whenever you hear a thigh contusion, but at the same time, you know. I think they said it was a strain, which is like the the level under a sprain is under, the yeah. term I heard denoted. Um, 
either way, I I think you know it should be a good week of warranted basketball off, uh, especially for a guy of that caliber who's like I said, you know, his usage rate historically, especially this season, has been incredibly high. Uh, I, I think it'd just be in the best interest of the team. And if you're looking to make a late playoff run, or if you're looking to make even a noise in the playoffs, like that's it's got to be in your best interest to do so. Um, like you said, you know, Lucas Lucas a competitive guy. He's going to want to play, but uh, I think for the team's best interest, that's what they have to have in mind. Um, I think as far as the injury goes, like, like I said, you know, what I'm, my main takeaway from it is I, I just think, you know, the usage rate, how much he was used at the beginning of the year, uh, what all he was asked to do is just all toppling over and it's becoming what we're seeing now, just sort of these nagging injuries uh, where, over the last three or four games, this was something that we saw, you know, probably grimacing, and this is probably was the thigh contusion. It just, you know, didn't amount to anything up until, you know, this Pelicans game, and he had to be pulled out. I think it was in the third quarter. Um, I, like I, like I said, I just think it's everything toppling over and becoming this. Yeah, and for those that are in the crowd, that he should just tough it out through the injury, and it's going to cost the Mavericks games and everything of that nature. I mean, I, I would reckon that the Mavericks were more negative benefactors when he was in there uh, than he was, you know, just playing through it because with him as the focal point of the offense, the way they, which he has to operate and the dexterity that he relies upon to, you know, make those Euro steps and passing out going full speed, you know, as he's trapped in the paint, things like that, they, they require a lot of, you know, mobility and agility, things of that nature. And if you've watched him, especially last night, it was, you know, it was sort of a microcosm of the last few games at large, but particularly last night, he was just unable to move the way in which you would even hope. Like it wasn't even like 75 to 90%. It was like, he almost looked as if he was like 30 to 50% in terms of the way and, which he was able to move out there. And, you know, defensively, it was a complete nightmare. I mean, there was like almost no effort given, but it didn't even seem like you could blame the guy because of how hurt he was. But offensively, I mean, he was still trying to expose every single nook and cranny he could. He was, you know, ever savvy in terms of his basketball approach to dealing with an injury. He was, you know, using all the rip throughs in the post, trying to bait foul calls. He was still acting as the focal point of the offense. And I mean, it worked at times and he got to the free throw line a little bit, um, but him just not being able to move the way that he wanted to, or for that matter, the Mavericks need him to definitely negatively adversely, you know, affected the team. And you could see that, you know, in that first, second, third quarter, when the Mavericks just had, you know, in that third quarter when Luca played too, of course, but, when they just had a sort of huge inability to be able to create any sort of offense when Luca was on the court because him being so immobile, I mean, that, that basically, you know, messes up the play from the start. Cause if he can't get to the designated spot to, you know, start the exact play at the right time, then it kind of just throws off the movement of the shooters. And you definitely saw that, you know, the Mavericks offense had a tendency to lack spacing and it seemed all conglomerated together in that first, second, third quarter. Jaron, what do you think was the reason that the Mavericks suffered those offensive woes through those first three quarters? 
Uh, I I think it's a mix of just being slow, being off kilter. Uh, I mean, they were coming off a back-to-back, but as I said at the top of the podcast, that I, I view that game as a must-win. Um, I mean, pretty much from tip-off outside of those, you know, odd first three minutes, like there really wasn't any effort to win up until, of course, the end of the fourth quarter. Um, I, I think it's a com- like it's sort of a composition of, you know, Luca being hurt, he draws so much attention and he does so much for your offense. With him being hurt, it just limits, you know, basically 75% of what he can do, or at least that's what we saw last night was 75% of what he could do was pretty much limited. Um, and you rely so heavily on that. I think it, it sort of drawed a different attention away from the team. Uh, and, you know, even still, if Luca's on the court, he's going to draw a certain attention just being, you know, on the court himself. But you know, whenever he's still trying to do everything that he does so well, it, it just sort of creates a block kind of in a string. Like it, it just, it's not flowing right. There, it, it's not, it doesn't look pretty. And that's exactly what we saw. Uh, defensively too, same thing. You know, we, we've seen Luca, even when healthy, doesn't, you know, give the best effort on defense at times. Uh, and, you know, whenever he's hurt or whenever he has something nagging at him, it gives him more of an excuse to do so. And that's kind of what we saw uh, just late getting back you know, the usual Luca stuff, um, arguing with refs. We saw him get his 15th tech. Uh, I think that was out of frustration more than anything. And I mean, he's going to have to be straight as a whistle from here on out because 16 and you're gone for a game. And then after that, you're gone for any game that you do get a, any game that you do get another technical. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I mentioned before, I, I just think it's so much was derived from Luca, especially in this game. And whenever you're asking him to do so much and he can't provide just due to injury. And it's not the man's fault. I mean, like the team is forcing this upon him. Uh, it, it, it's just all leads down to this and your team being super stagnant defensively and offensively. And that's kind of what we saw up until Luca was like really official out, officially out. We kind of saw the Mavericks get together. Um, as I mentioned before, I think they cut it to a two or three point lead at one point. Um, and that's, like I said, that's whenever we saw this team at its best, if you're looking at that game alone. Well, yeah, it's best without Luca, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But what did you tend to think of the defensive effort from the Mavericks? Because, you know, comparatively to the Jazz game, which we referenced earlier, and the sort of, you know, the Mavericks, we talked a lot about how they were just letting these role players seemingly seep through the cracks. You know, Lowry's performance was expected, but you know, I think comparatively, like the Mavericks limited the Pelicans a lot more in this one, but it almost, and and, you know, the the box score would say differently, but it almost seemed as if the Mavericks played worse defense at times and they allowed a lot more open threes last night, especially after Ingram went down. It just didn't seem as if the Pelicans shot making was necessarily as attuned as it was beforehand. The Mavericks went to a few different uh, schemes defensively at one point, the ESPN broadcast called it a box and one. I, I don't know if it was necessarily that, but they definitely, it definitely seemed like a couple times in the second and third quarter, they teetered with some matchup zone, but it was only for a select few possessions. As we've seen with this team, they, they appear to be negligent to go a step further than that. So in just in terms of the defensive effort from the Mavericks last night, I, I don't know. Personally, I just didn't think they, they closed out the shooters as well. Uh, just as a team-wide sort of agenda, they were a little less persistent in terms of their ability to rotate with guys. They seemed to get caught up on a lot of switches. Um, there were a lot of off-ball screens and 
you know, staggers and then like rescreens the Pelicans would run that Maverick defenders would really get hung up on. Um, what did you think of how the Mavericks defended last night? I thought that they were kind of lucky with some negative regression in terms of the Pelicans shooting in the second half too. Um, that was honestly a large part as to why the Mavericks got in the game. But do you think that this was a better defensive effort than the Jazz game or a worse defensive effort? Uh, I mean, I- I'm going to put it in the category of worse. Um, uh, you know, as you mentioned, just getting stuck on screens, simple switch calls weren't even being made. Um, you know, I saw multiple times Josh Green kind of wanting to be the main point of attack defender, and it just didn't look right. You know, I feel like if you're going to announce that, you're probably, you know, within a coach, you scheme that, and that just didn't even look like it was a scheme. Um, I mean, we saw multiple guys just trying to, like, not play hero ball necessarily, but um, it, it just kind of looked like, you know, guys wanted matchups that it never ended up happening, and then it would create a wide-open lane. Um we saw multiple times just on, you know, a lack of closeouts or being too aggressive on closeouts where Trey Murphy in particular would, you know, off the dribble, take it. And he had better dunks in this game than he did in the dunk contest. Um, I, I think that on top of, you know, Hernan Gomez, he had his moments, you know, Brandon Ingram, he's going to get his work. But I, I think it was just, you know, a due diligence of, just guys really not partaking in the defensive side of things. I think, you know, it starts, I mean, who's your number one defensive guy on the starting lineup? Probably Josh Green. Uh, whenever Reggie Bullock's not in the lineup, like it's got to be Josh Green. Uh, and I saw it multiple times where Green just, you know, refused to either switch or refused to pick up a man. It, it just, like I said, you know, it started from the top and it it all fell apart from there. I know, you know, as you mentioned, late, later in the game, uh, it kind of looked like the defense was a little better, but I would, uh, you know, I know that you said it was kind of negative regression in shooting, and I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, it it kind of seemed like whenever Brandon Ingram went down with that ankle sprain, that all of a sudden, you know, the Mavericks were back in it. Uh, guys weren't knocking down shots at the volatility volatility that they were earlier, and you know, even still, the corner, the wide open corner shots that we would come accustomed to seeing, you know, weren't being made. Um, and on the other side of things, on offense for us, you know, those those kind of shots were being made. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's a conglomerate of, you know, being a sec- second night of a back-to-back, I guess if you want to tally at that, and also just, you know, lack of communication. I think if you're going to play such heavy team defense, especially in a zone, uh, communication has to be the number one thing. You know, we saw that last year, kind of that was their, like, staple point was, you know, communication and being together. And I'm sorry, but it's just nothing compared to that. And I mean, this is a prime example of it if you're going to look at such a negative game defensively. Yeah, no. The, the way that you distinguished how much of a stark contrast this team is to last year is is really key, just in terms of the communication and the you know guys calling each other out on switches, things of that nature. We just haven't seen it as prominently. But, I mean, I, to their credit, I, I think that they amended that a little bit in that third and fourth quarter. We saw guys bumping off each other. It was the same in the Jazz game, too, where we saw them try to up the ante in intensity in the third and fourth quarter. But, you know, in the NBA, there is 48 minutes in a game, not 24. So the Mavericks seem to have a fallacy in their mind that they can only play certain stretches of the game and, you know, gloss over lesser opponents or injury-riddled things of that nature. And I just don't know when they're going to shake this complex out of their head. 
I, I don't know if that's me being like negligent for, as a, from a fan perspective and being like, and thinking that my team is better than it is, but they just, there's just been too much of, you know, data and a sample size to disregard the fact that this team, you know, time and time again, has a tendency to just gloss over opponents that typically they're either better than, or they would, they, they are better than because some of the opposing team's best players are missing. So I don't know. I, I just hope that it gets fixed during playoffs because even if you're, they're not playing somebody that they're necessarily better than there will be, I mean, I'm hopefully, hopefully I preface, there will be times where they have a sizable lead and they're going to need to uh, keep their foot on the pedal. And that's something that they have obviously not been accustomed to this season, but nonetheless, if we want to get into some of the player performances from these last two games, you know, we obviously kind of, gave a little bit more of a quick debrief on both of those games than we typically do, but it's just sort of the, um, that's just sort of the nature with these podcasts and, you know, and these back-to-backs, we, we can't go too in-depth or else we'd be here for like two hours, but nonetheless, Jaron, um, we'll start with Josh Green since you actually were just bringing him up and things of that nature. You obviously talked about how, and I kind of wanted to get you to clarify a little bit exactly what you're saying when you were talking about Josh Green being or, you know, maybe having too much overconfidence in his defensive abilities at the moment, like, could you just elaborate upon a little further what you meant when you were saying that he was taking these defensive assignments or not letting guys switch for um, some of the people at home? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but um, yeah, I mean, just a, a simple, you know, switch on a screen or whatever it was, um, he would stick to it and, you know, it would lead to a double where a double isn't warranted. Um, and it, of course, you know, it led to a wide open guy in the paint. Um, in particular, in this Pelicans game, you know, uh, Valentunas, he got in foul trouble really early. So Josh essentially was switching when, or he wasn't switching when, and then another guy basically acted as if he was switching. Uh, like whenever he should have switched, he didn't. Yeah. Or yeah. likewise on the other side of it, whenever he yeah. should have switched, he didn't. Um, I, I, I think it was kind of a conglomerate of that and being vocal didn't really see him do that. You know, he still had his effort defense um, and like effort rebounding on the boards and everything. But I, in terms of team defense, it was, you know, not pretty looking at these last two games. Yeah, I know. And I, there was like one position where he got crossed fairly bad in that first quarter. But I think the the opposing player I think it was either Ingram or McCollum ended up missing the shot but he got shook I don't know maybe that's the jazz game these last two games have clouded my mind in terms of what exactly has happened but nonetheless I, I would definitely agree just as an overarching theme that Josh's defense has felt fell off ever since the whole you know not being in the starting lineup thing and things of that nature and you know he he's just seemingly hard-pressed to be able to find his offense again He's still, you know, being willing to take threes at a decent clip, but there have been times where we've seen him shy away a little bit. And as well as that, he's just not attacking mismatches as prominently as he was at one point. And the inaggressive or the unaggressiveness, I don't know exactly what the word would be there, but the unaggressiveness is, you know, coupled with him diverting more so back to that over-aggressive, fouling too much defense that we talked about before the season started, you know, that he was going to have to hone in on and really 
try and control, um, you know, go from controlled, I mean, go from chaos essentially to controlled chaos, something that he got, you know, ever so savvy at. He, he kind of looks like the Josh Green of last year at times. And do you think that we can attribute this to Jason Kidd and him removing Josh Green out of the starting lineup for those two games or, and then, you know, subsequently putting him back in? Or is this, you know, does this lie on Josh Green and him just having confidence woes as a young player in this league? You know, I, I'm going to say it flat out. I, if there are people making excuses, you shouldn't. Like, this is an NBA player after the, or at the end of the day. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. You know, you're still competing for every spot that you earn. It doesn't matter if a coach pulls you out of the starting lineup for two games, three games, and then submits you back in. I know it was kind of a weird scenario where, you know, Holiday had only played one game on the Mavericks and then was submitted in that starting lineup. Either way, you know, you have to put that behind you. And it kind of seems like if that is the reason why his defense and offense has sort of fallen off these last, you know, week, two weeks, um, you, at some point you have to put it behind you. And at some point you have to grow and move on. Uh, I, I think that this is more so just a player issue, more so, you know, a guy dealing with some confidence issues. Um, you know, he's being relied upon with a huge role ever since Dorian was traded. Uh, like I said, you know, he's having to be, most of the time, the main defender on some of the best guys in the league. And, you know, he he can do it consistently. I just think it, over time, like I'm interested to see this in a playoff series because over time, it kind of seems like he gets worn out. Uh, and this is a great example of it, you know, a stretch where he's being relied upon heavily, especially with Bullock being out, you know, it's kind of looking a little blocky at times. Uh, it kind of seems like he needs that sort of second defender, just sort of like, you know, a duo I guess defensively, you know, where Dorian needed Reggie, I guess he needs Reggie in a sense, uh, because I don't know if I'm pointing towards anything, it kind of seems like whatever Reggie was taking out, it just fell off a cliff defensively. Well, I mean, Reggie's um, only been out like for one game. I, I know, I know, but it still yeah. looks like it's fallen off a cliff defensively. And I yeah. even still, you know, Reggie or uh, Josh Green, he's dealt with his troubles um, really over the last two weeks, like I said, but it, it just looks very amplified and very, you know, microdosed or I guess macrodosed, I guess if you're looking at that point in these last two games. Yeah, no, I I can see what you're saying from that perspective. And I think Reggie and Maxi's inclusion in these last 16 or so games in the playoffs, of course, are paramount to our success. So I, you know, I know Maxi's case, he's just taking time off from a second out of a back to back. And I think Reggie, did he end up having like a quad thing? I think it was either a quad or ankle or something. I yeah, but it did seem minor in, in nature. So we hope that his recovery and from that standpoint is steadfast and he's able to return for this next game versus the Jama Rant less Grizzlies, which is going to be, um, I believe, oh, it's going to be Saturday at 7.30. Um, for those of you that were expecting Jaron to say it once again, I got it early this time. But nonetheless, as we sort of divulge into some of the other guys here. Obviously, Luca, you know, we talked about how he was having to try and kind of manipulate the game and in a weird sort of sense in this Pelicans game where he was relying on, you know, just foul baiting and rip throughs and, you know, whatever sort of flurry of post moves he could surmise. Uh, just comparatively, I mean, yes, you could see that things bothered him a little bit in that Jazz game, but how do you compare the two performances from him? I mean, I think in, if you're looking at Luca performances, these were some of the more worst performances uh, that you've seen out of the season. 
I think more so that Jazz game, I maybe have had the that may have been the quietest like 29 point performance I've ever seen. Um, one where he looked laborsome at times, and then other times he looked like he was assertive. Uh, it kind of seemed like his offense was going, and then at times it felt like it was not even existent. And, you know, especially in that Pelicans game, you know, you knew it was off pretty much from the start. He got off to a quick start in the first quarter, but after that, you know, you pretty much knew it was – he was dealing with something bigger than, you know, being on the court at this time. Uh, within this Jazz game, you know, being able to score within the offense, flow in the, within the offense – uh, was really key, you know, even pushing the ball in transition at times and even scoring off transition. Usually usually he's the facilitator on those possessions, but, you know, he was, uh, he was able to score at times off those, you know, pushing ball in transition, whatever yeah. it was. Um, kind of in this Jazz game or in this uh, Pelicans game, like none of what Luca could do was pretty much, you know, available. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, whenever we were on that segment, it, I think the injury just – pretty much pulled everything that we need and asked of Luca pretty much out of that game. And I mean, I guess you can write it off if you want to. Um, personally, I would tally it under the, you know, questionable games where you can at least make an excuse for it. But in this Utah game, I don't think he had the best game ever. Uh, but as I mentioned before, you know, he had a quiet 29, something that you look on the box score and you're like, didn't even realize that that happened. Uh, but as I mentioned, you know, scoring within the offense and pushing the ball in transition and as it, you know, being the main facilitator and also scoring. And uh, I mean, it, you look at it now, it's not as bad as a game that you like kind of realize, but yeah, it, it was definitely a weirder game just from an all around standpoint. Yeah. You did make a good point about how he was able to push the ball in transition up to Kyrie. We're seeing that uh, the ebb and flow of the Mavericks transition game start, uh, start to kind of come to a premium here as they increase their pra- their pace ever marginally, since the Kyrie uh, trade, of course. So that is definitely something that I was happy you were able to distinguish. Nonetheless, uh, you know, speaking of that, let's just go ahead and talk about Kyrie these last two games. Essentially, he's had, I believe, what is it? He's had essentially 60 combined points in these last two games, and he has been the main reason for the Mavericks' ability to actually keep that thing close, uh, of course, in the Pelicans game and in that Jazz thing, he really served as the closer and really was able to sort of keep the tide rolling in, in both fourth quarters. Just, you know, he's obviously has the highest points per game in fourth quarters in the NBA and his shot making and comfortability, especially in those non-Luka minutes with other Mavericks role players, is really starting to come at a premium. Uh, we're seeing him take a little bit of bigger of a step in the offense. Even a couple games ago when he was still scoring a lot, he seemed, you know, he seems as if he's, you know, the that he's been diagnosed as the point of attack ball handler for the Mavericks, particularly when Luka's out. And even when Luka was injured, he was taking a little more of the burden. He, You could see that he probably understood that. And he's been doing a fairly good job of that. So I just wanted to get your uh, thoughts and tidbits on how he's fared these last two games, especially last night where it looked very bleak for the Mavericks at times, but Kyrie's fourth quarter scoring and, you know, his ability to, you know, come off staggers and drain some threes in the waning moments of the game, as well as just being able to create offense for himself at all three levels was probably the main reason that they stayed in the game. And honestly, they probably could have won if not for a flurry of CJ McCollum threes where he was just got increasingly hotter with every shot 
Yeah, I mean, at one point, I think he scored 13 in a row to pretty much close out that game. But um, to go back to Kyrie, I think that, you know, especially these last three games, I think that there's an argument to be made that these are probably the best Kyrie games that we've seen all season. Um, you know, one thing I think, you know, people fail to touch up on is how much of a leader he can be, uh, especially in those non-Luka minutes. And, you know, of course, in the Pelicans game, whenever Luka went out, he kind of had to be the main focal point of the offense. And he was able to do that and then some. Um, he kind of pulled the Mavericks out of a hole that they dig themselves. And, you know, I, I they ended up losing, of course. But th- this is one where at times it looks it looked like, OK, if we pull this one out, you know, you just walk out and you say, thank God we pulled that out. But it's really due to Kyrie. Um, you know, we went on a big run whenever it was, you know, the Kyrie offense, whenever Luka was out in that jazz game. Um, and it definitely still has its, you know, woes. Like we've seen sort of, we've seen it fall apart at times. We've seen it get together. Like, like I said, you know, it's not perfect. Um, but definitely these last three games, I think we've seen more of a cleaner, especially the last two, we've seen more of a cleaner Kyrie, you know, whenever he's in the offense or whenever he's dictating the offense, it looks a lot better, uh, than it has in sometimes past. Yeah, um, so it seems like the Mavericks are more keen to, being able to trust him in these scenarios. I mean, not that they weren't beforehand, but he seems as if he has the trust with his of his teammates and the the confidence within himself, especially because there were times, you know, where we called for him to take a little bit more heat in the offense. Um, and he is doing so in these last few games. And I mean, obviously his just ability to, you know, be able to probe and snake pick pick and rolls and you know, get in the lane and make those tough shots and just take guys off the dribble. I mean, he's the best in the league at doing it. He's scoring in the mid-range. He's upping the ante in transition, um, you know, getting guys shots. I mean, I, one of the underrated aspects of his game since he's been here has definitely been his playmaking for me, his ability to just move the ball, you know, just on, you know, in those around the horn scenarios, as well as, you know, push the ball up the floor in transition. I mean, he he ends up you know, he, he had a few like give and goes last night at the end of the fourth quarter where he was just outrunning everybody. Essentially, there was one I remember specifically to Bertans and, you know, stuff like that, like that really adds up at the end of a game. So I think that that as well as how he's been playing defensively recently, which he's been amazing in terms of his rotations and his help defense. And, you know, he tries as hard as he can, no matter who he's matched up on. That's definitely boded well for the Mavericks as of recently. What did you think about, you know, how Dwight Powell's played these last two games, obviously a, you know, better performance from him last night than in that jazz game where his inclusion in the game was somewhat negligible, but last night him and Luca were actually kind of slicing people up in the pick and roll and Valanchunas, who, you know, is a historically, you know, big drop coverage, big, he got out and with some early foul trouble and he just didn't play a whole lot in this game. And, We've seen, you know, with him against the Pelicans in past matchups, Dwight's inability to roll. I mean, there's sometimes where you can kind of beat him if they end up switching, but with the Valentinus dropping, it just makes it tough and it kind of gets congestion there for Dwight to roll. And he's kind of relegated to just being a guy who just probes around in the dunker spot. But, you know, with Hernan Gomez in there as a kind of slower footed guy, but they would still switch the pick and roll a lot. And Dwight was able to be the benefactors of some of these lobs. What do you think of that? And did you think that the defensive effort from him matched up and how do you think he played in the Utah game of course as well uh, I mean I think uh, especially over the last two games it's been more outside of the Utah game um I guess if you're like highlighting something I would look towards the Pelicans game one of his better games of the season for sure 
uh, one where it was able to, you know, his best offense is in the pick and roll, and we were able to see that put on the Um, It kind of seemed like whenever Valanciunas went out, all, you know, everything was on the table in terms of the pick and roll. Uh, he had multiple, you know, sort of rolling to the hoop, getting his, you know, usual dunks, whatever. Um, he would have had a lot more too. Um, Luca just kind of threw some errant passes and it, it was a stupid turnover at times. Um, you know, defensively through these two games, I think it's honestly been more of a, a better, uh, you know, a better sort of performance in these last two. Um, at least in the Pelicans game again, it, the Utah game, it's just, he it doesn't really match up well against Markkinen. Um, but particularly in this Pelicans game, even against Valanciunas, uh, I felt like he was really effective. You know, Valanciunas, of course, he got into that foul trouble early in the game, but even still, he never made, you know, a print on this game. And, you know, being so injury depleted that they were, you kind of expected him to be one of those guys that, you know, is scoring in the 20s and stuff like that. We've seen it at least the past few times that we matched up against them. But uh, even still, he never made a print on this game. And I think you have to point towards Dwight a little bit. Um, I, I think, yeah, like I said, defensively, he's honestly played pretty good these last two games. Yeah, I would definitely tend to agree with you just in terms of Dwight's defense. From a team defense perspective, you know, he he is actually one of the only guys who is very keen upon rotating and, you know, bringing that help side defense. And, you know, and when the Mavericks diverted to running a matchup zone a little bit when he was in those lineups, he honestly didn't look too bad. Um, but, of course, the the man-to-man defense is still uh, a point where the Mavericks are ever suffering. He Anytime he gets switched on to somebody comparable, um, that can – you know, actually go head to head with him, then he ends up typically suffering the L in most of those matchups. And that that's been something that we've seen you know, predominantly, you know, throughout the whole season, but you know, especially in these last two games. So conversely, Christian Wood, you know, who a lot of Mavericks fans have been pining for minutes for, he's actually had a very good uh, last two games, in my opinion. And, you know, especially where his, I thought his defensive fit was definitely amplified as we've talked about at nauseum on this podcast, when, the Mavericks diverted to playing him and Maxi together in that Jazz game. Of course, Maxi was out tonight, but Christian Wood, as the lone big man on the floor, actually fared decent in his minutes. You know, given he was typically going against like Hernan Gomez or Jackson Hayes, you know, not not high level premium bigs, but he wasn't relegated to this. You know, just sort of standstill guy in the paint, like we like like we've seen at times and. He was honestly doing, you know, as good as he could have rim protection wise, and he was doing a, dec- a fairly decent job switching. And when those matchups presented itself, and it almost seems as if, you know, definitely Christian Wood has played better sometimes than not at times defensively this season. But it almost seems as if that sort of black hole aspect of his defense was really only uh, put on the stage when he was coming off those injuries and that back-to-back versus the Kings right before the all-star break. I honestly haven't, I can't really point to another specific point in this season where I feel as if he's played so bad defensively that he was just completely undeserving of minutes. And I mean, now I think that the narratives are starting to sort of circle around Mavs fans as his defense has at least been average to good in most games that, he should be playing over to White Powell. So I just want to get your thoughts on his assertiveness offensively in these last couple of games, how he's exploiting mismatches. And while by virtue of that, also not being, you know, sacrificing the offense too much. How, how has he been able to do this these last two games? And what do you think 
is it should there be a call to him starting again? I, mean, I think there's definitely an argument to be made. Um, you know, we've seen at times that like Dwight Powell is just kind of on the floor, not really doing a whole lot. Like, yes, you can run pick and rolls to him, but at the same time, he just can't exploit the matchups that, you know, Christian Wood can offensively. And even defensively, you know, man on man, uh, I think, you know, there's an argument to be made that as a man def- man to man defender, I think Christian Wood might even be better. Um, I, I get, you know, the argument Dwight Powell is probably the best rotational big we have maybe outside of Maxi, but even still, I, I think he's been serviceable to good uh, in that role. And, you know, whenever he's on the lone big, um, like, as I mentioned, you know, he's been he's been pretty good. Um, I, I think there's a real argument to be made, you know, offensively exploiting ma- mismatches, uh, working within the flow of the offense was kind of the big thing. And we've seen that, you know, and we've seen him, you know, at times be really good. Uh, I, I still, you know, notice it in that second half, sometimes, you know, matchups or sometimes schemes just aren't even applied to him whenever, you know, he scores like nine in the first half and then he scores two, you know, the rest of the game. Like we still see that every now and then. I don't know if that's him necessarily or just Jason Kidd going away from him. Um, yeah, you know, defensively, I think that alone there's an argument to be made that he could play over Mac or he could play over Dwight um, and honestly be pretty serviceable, if not better uh, than Dwight Powell with the minutes that he's given now. Yeah, no, I would definitely tend to agree with you there. Um, and if we want to, you know, actually piggyback and talk about Maxi, since we kind of I alluded to his fit with Christian Wood a little bit in you know that segment where I was talking about how they could honestly be a lot better paired defensively together and you know the lineup data would prove that as well and we've talked about that nauseum in this podcast as soon as Maxi got back and of course Maxi didn't play on that second night of a back-to-back but nonetheless I thought that he was uh fairly essential in that Utah game you know he honestly had to play it, it was weird because they kind of relegated him to freelancing on Olenek a little more than, you know, matching up Markkanen, um, you know, head-to-head. I think that had the Mavericks, you know, have if they had another rim protector and Maxi essentially had the ability to act more as, you know, that sort of freelancing, not wing, but, you know, hybrid wing as well as big, you know, that would be a little more well-suited. And he could definitely guard a guy like Markkanen, like head-to-head. I think that would be like one of the better – premier matchups for him in terms just like size wise and things of that nature but unfortunately um the Mavericks really didn't have that luxury so you know he was matched up on a Linux and and a lot of the schemes and he did get a few switches on the market and some other point of attack guys but he did fairly well didn't really have the most high volume of shots in that one I mean he, he ended up finishing with five points but still a solid game from Maxi uh nonetheless and hopefully he's good to go in this next game um Tim Hardaway Jr. is a guy that has been absolutely on fire lately, and that continued in this Pelicans game. He kind of had some rough bouts, but he ended up finishing 5 for 12 from 3, 6 for 13 from the field. In the last two games, he is a combined 14 of 25 from the field, and he is a combined um, he's a combined 12 of 21 from 3. So, I mean, he's scorching hot right now, whether it's, you know, shooting those transition pull-up threes, or within the flow of the offense, the Mavericks are running some different actions to be able to get him open. They're actually going to kind of getting fairly creative uh, with some of these staggers and then uh, reset screens that they're doing uh, with Tim will either be like the first or second or typically the second guy on the stagger. And then he'll subsequently rescreen for the ball handler. If nobody ends up getting open 
and it's been leading to some wide open pick and pop opportunities. And I mean, he's been draining everything, man. And he's also playing good man on man defense, even at the rotational aspect has certainly lacked a little bit. Otherwise, um, you know, there haven't been too, there hasn't been really a certain, certainly like a heavy dosage of contributors outside of that these last couple of games. I think we definitely need to give props to Jaden Hardy and his absolute posterization over Jackson Hayes. He came in and filled a role for the Mavericks last night with Luca going down, playing 17 minutes, scoring 11 points, four for five from the field. And he was just doing a really good job blowing past guys and creating, wasn't a black hole in defense. Jaden Hardy, obviously it's proved consistently that he is actually inconsistent. And, you know, this isn't something that we can come to expect from him every game, given his, how he is as a rookie. But I mean, he played a hell of a game last night, especially in clutch time. The kid's got, he's got nuts to say the least. And he, he ended up making, I think, two threes in that first quarter, one off an insane Kyrie wraparound pass where he actually missed the first shot. Uh, but then I think it may have been actually Davis that created another a second chance opportunity for him to get the ball back. He drained it straight up, a, a wide open three. And then he, he pulled up in transition at the beginning of the quarter. And I mean, he was a big reason the Mavericks kind of, he, he kind of uh, was the genesis of some of those runs that the Mavericks made in that fourth quarter. And he played well. I, I just don't want to take too much credence to it because, you know, Luca was out and he came in and filled a void. I, you know, I think maybe he's earned getting some minutes here in the next game or two because his role is very conducive to how he's playing at a given time. But we'll have to see how that situation evolves um, over the coming days. But I definitely thought he had a hell of a game and he had a great dunk over Jackson Hayes last night. He obviously didn't play in the Jazz game. Davis didn't play in the Jazz game either, but he saw some some of his first action after coming off of that injury that he has been dealing with. And he, he made two threes last night and he didn't look like a complete albatross on defense, which was welcomed. And he kind of just served as a ball mover and a guy that was running in transition uh, for a Mavericks team that needed shooting and needed to get back in the game really badly. He rose to the occasion, but, you know, very similar in the same vein as Hardy, just not something that you can rely upon game in and game out. But I thought both of those guys filled a certain void in the rotation that was lacking last night for what it's worth. Markeith Morris played sparingly in both games. Um, actually, he didn't even play in the Jazz game. I take that back. But he played like a few minutes last night, really didn't do much. Um, would be interesting to see how the Mavericks could use him without necessarily having to play him as a small ball five. But I guess that debate is kind of is where it is. But it's good to see Christian Wood getting minutes. Um you know, and Jason Kidd, even if he's not starting him, increasing his minutes dosage because I, I got kind of worried last night when Markeith Morris came in the game before him as the small ball five. But nonetheless, um, that, you know, that happened. You know, Pinson got a little bit of run and did kind of not really anything in his few minutes. Frank has played some decent point of attack defense over the last couple of games. He played very sparingly in the Jazz game, only two minutes, but he, he came in and he released some pressure last night, but, you know, he still doesn't really serve to do anything offensively. And, you know, when the Mavericks team defense tends to go down as a whole, Frank's defense is definitely isn't as invaluable as it, as it sometimes can be. He, he kind of seems to play down to the Mavericks with their bad defense as, you know, with him as well. He's, he's just not as fiery or um, competitive on that end, but, you know, he, he's, his inclusion has been fairly nice. Uh, Reggie in that jazz game, I know he of course didn't play tonight, but in the jazz game, you could definitely tell, tell he was a little bit hampered. You know, he went out early and that with that injury, only playing eight minutes, shot one, three, you know, not much that we can really pull there. And lastly, I mean, Justin holiday, I think he's played fairly decent over these last 
two games, you know, two games where we're looking at the volatility of his shooting. This isn't a guy that is going to be a 100% player from a shooting perspective. A guy that went four for nine in that jazz game, three for seven from the field on threes was actually shooting fairly well, then goes 0 for five from three. And those were the, that was the whole shot diet of him tonight versus the Pelicans, but he still, you know, comes in, provides rotational defense and, you know, he's always been really good at rotating and switching and he's one of the and that's something Mavericks sorely need especially as they continue those woes on that side of things um but you know you just would like a little more consistency from him and he's another guy kind of in the same vein as Frank that when the Mavericks team defense goes down as a whole he tends to kind of follow that agenda a little bit but nonetheless unless you got anything else Jaren I think that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for today um the Mavericks of course play the Grizzlies at 7 30 on Saturday so we'll be there back there to put to cover that for you guys other than that, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Mainstream underscore Mavs. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcast or Spotify or any other podcast platform, make sure to give us a five-star rating and uh, good reviews. If you so please, we would really appreciate that. That helps us out a lot. If not, you can always give some criticism. Um, if you don't like Jaren's UNT hat or you don't like my terrible hair, just let us know. But otherwise, um, if you're listening on YouTube, shout out to the YouTube game. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe if you haven't already. Comment, is Josh is John Morant going to return this regular season since the Mavericks play the Grizzlies? Now the question should be, is Kevin Durant going to return? Oh, that was a whole other story. Kevin Durant going out last night in the Suns game with an ankle injury and warm-ups. We'll have to see how that situation evolves. But And since he's going to be out for the remainder of the regular season and possibly first round of the playoffs. Jesus, I didn't even read that, but yeah, so. I, I didn't even read the tea leaves, so I'll have to get into that. But nonetheless, we will catch you guys in the next one after Saturday night. Y'all have a good one. Peace out. Bye-bye.